I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship. We're glad you could join us once again. Um, and today we have Krista DeBoer with us, who is the Executive Director of DASIS. And Krista, welcome. It's she has to be here. Yeah, she has brought with her a panel of um, DASIS advocates and, and employees who work with um, children. We're going to talk more about children today than, than we usually do on a regular program. But with April being National Child Abuse Awareness Month, um, maybe Krista, we'll start with you just a little kind of what does child abuse prevention, child abuse awareness month, you know, we've heard this every year for like a number of years and we're still doing it, but what is the, the focus behind having that national designation? Um, so this year's theme is thriving children and families prevention with purpose. Um, so a lot of it is how we can promote positive child and family well-being. So it can look like, um, how do, how do we help children who've experienced this and how do we help families, especially if they're in crisis after something has happened? Um, it's also looking at how do we prevent child abuse and neglect? Um, and also how do we build strong child and family resilience after something has happened? Um, those are just a few things. There's more than that if you're interested in looking that up. Um, and so part of it then is when we look at that, the National Child Abuse Prevention Month, um, we at DASIS kind of look at that specifically and say, how do we approach that in the light of domestic violence and sexual abuse? So we have some of my lovely coworkers here who can probably speak a little bit more into that. Okay, and um, I'm not sure between Marissa or Guadalupe or Lydia who would like to start, but um, you hear the term child advocate, you know, schools sometimes have a child advocate, DASIS has child advocates. Uh, what, what does a child advocate do? Like what would a kind of normal day be like? Um, a normal day for a child advocate would really be building a rapport with the children. Um, just because that's how you get them to trust you and get them to talk. And usually it's a lot easier for them to talk as you're, you know, doing things with them, such as like playing games, coloring, playing around with toys um, and you work on educating with them and a lot of like different referrals come into place where you know I'm personally not a therapist but Lupe is so I will refer some of my clients to her um, because I, there are some things that I just can't work on but I can work mm -hmm. on educating and using age-appropriate um, 
terminology to talk to the children and get them to understand what abuse is and that it's still not okay, even if it's coming from somebody that you love. So how would you, how would you get your referrals mostly? I'm sure there are many different ways you could get a referral for a child. Usually <laughs> the children um, that I see are in shelters. Sometimes there are parents that call on behalf of their children um, and I will start talking to them through that. Um, but normally it is children that come into shelter. I see them and uh, meet with them and probably meet with them like daily. I see them a lot. And so these would be children, if they're in shelters, then they've come with a parent who is escaping domestic violence and, and bringing the children with them. Yes, exactly. W would you have referrals like from schools or from daycare or things like that as well? Um, so we can have referrals from different schools and daycares. Um, we do have to have parental consent. So the parents do have to be on board with that. Um, a lot of the times, you know, sometimes they are on board, sometimes they're not. It kind of just depends on the situation. Like where the, the problem would be occurring. Yeah, the abuse occurring, right. Um, so um, I'm not sure if someone else wants to come on. If, if, if you find a child that is in an abusive situation, what kinds of, of, of tools or, or things can you give them to help them cope with this? I mean, you know, do you want to just like get them out of there right away or how are they going to be able to cope with what they're in, involved with? I can, I can speak to the first part and then Lupe, maybe you can speak into it a little bit more um, or Lydia and Marissa jump in as well. Um, so if we find out, if DASIS employees find out about child abuse or neglect, um, our first job as mandated reporters is to report it. Um, and so we do try to include um, our survivors in, in that phone call um, with them. Um, and, then, and then sometimes it just depends. Sometimes um, there is already maybe some um, DHHS, Department of Human Services, who uh, might already be involved. And so then it's a really close relationship of working um, with them and to provide families, whether it's support, tools, um, parenting skills, whatever it might be. Um, we definitely help with that as well. Um, Lupe, do you want to talk about how you would approach that from the therapist perspective? Well, uh, we usually get referrals also by um, people calling the 800 number uh, as well. Some parents call the 800 number uh, for DASIS and then um, and they're referred to a therapist, which is me. Um, and the way I approach it is um, building a relationship with the child at the beginning of uh, therapy services. Um, and then I teach them how to cope with uh, what they're going through, which is very important. Um, depending on the age, um, we, um, teach them how to um, name their feelings because uh, there's some children who are very small, very young, and they don't know what they're feeling. They don't know how to name their feelings. And between the therapist and the child advocates, um, work on those uh, issues, you know, to so the child can uh, voice uh, or say what they're feeling which I think would be quite a bit of 
fear or anger or, you know, maybe they're ashamed of what's happening. Exactly. And not know how to voice that. Exactly. Yeah. Some, some children um, are uh, no, don't know how to, you know, what they're feeling. So I think it's very important to teach your children how to um, know what those feelings are. What does it make you feel, you know, when you're angry? How does it feel to be angry, frustrated, um, sad? Because sometimes children don't know how to, uh, what does that mean? You know? Mm-hmm. So I, it's very important to teach him that. And between the therapist and the child advocate, uh, with different activities, we can teach children to um, to say to say what they're feeling. And do you have some things in place that allows the child to become um, safe or more in control of the situation that they're living in? I mean, I, I don't know if that's even beyond what DASIS is able to address, but um, it has to be sad if you're working with a child and you know they're heading right back into the situation that caused the problem. So something that we do in the shelter specifically is we help kind of facilitate communication between the child and the parent. So with all the dynamics of like sexual abuse and domestic violence, especially the family unit can kind of start to break down Mm -hmm. because sometimes the perpetrator will get between the child and the non-offending parent. And so something that we do is we just like, as we, as the therapist works with the child to kind of help them name those feelings and identify those, we help the parent to understand, Hey, you know, this is what the child's working on with the therapist. And because of the difficulties that arise as a result of the abuse from the offending parent, um, that can kind of manifest itself in like what comes across as bad behavior on the part of the child, which is actually just them communicating what they need from the parent in that moment. But sometimes that's hard for the parent to kind of see. So that's something that the child advocate does is just helping the parent to understand, hey, we know this is frustrating, but this is why this is happening. And this is what you could do moving forward to kind of handle that. So not just giving the, the child some tools to help protect themselves, but to give the that supporting parents some tools to be able to work with the child or understand the child and help them move forward together. Yeah, exactly. Um, We do also work a little bit on co-parenting because that is one of the difficulties because you have just gone from, you know, an abusive relationship with your person that is also another parent of your child and you still have to deal with them until your child says at least 18, if not longer. So, um, working on how we can manage our feelings and making sure that we're not making our child feel a certain way when we're, um, you know, when we're upset about what our co-parent might be doing. So you don't take that out on the child. You just can yeah, learn to work through it as adults and then benefit the child as much as possible. Um, so this has been a strange year as you know, everybody knows, and I'm sure there are a lot of activities that you would normally do that you have, have not been able to do with children. Are you still, have you still been able to meet with, with kids and families in person or are you reaching out online or how has that been working this year? Yeah, what we've been doing is meeting um, children on over Zoom. And um, part of the, um, of building a relationship with the child 
and we find that is very helpful is that to talk to the parent and the child. Um, so they, they, the children can feel secure and feel that um, the, the parent is on their side. Yeah, well, every child deserves to have their parent on their side, you know? Right. Um, they deserve to have both parents on their side, but definitely at least one parent on their side. Um, I think people, as we come into the month of April, are going to start to notice some things throughout their communities because this is a national um, a monthly awareness kind of, or, you know, program for the month of April, child abuse prevention. Um, sometimes you'll see blue ribbons that will be tied around trees and things in a downtown area, or you may see um, the little fans whirling around. And it is certainly not a, a celebration of anything, but simply to raise awareness that, you know, sometimes they'll have a certain number of things that will denote how many children in a particularly year and in a particular area had been dealing with domestic violence or sexual abuse or abuse of any kind. And, and just to, to realize that even in every little small community across America, this is a problem that needs to be addressed. Um, and, you know, people, you know, how, any advice you can give to folks that are living in communities, if they, if they see something that they think is maybe a little off, you know, you don't really want to to approach people and put them on the defensive, but maybe there are some things that folks can do to make lives easier for these kids. I would definitely say that if you see something, report it, because that's probably the biggest way we're gonna prevent it, through that and education. And um, at least that way, even if it turns out that it's not substantiated and they didn't find any evidence of child abuse, that it's still being brought to the attention of somebody to make sure that kid is safe, because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. Right, absolutely. Um, and schools can help participate in that as well. I mean, parents may see that they're getting some information home from their child's school um, on preventing child abuse and child abuse awareness. Um, and please do take a look at that if that's what happens there, for sure. Um, anything else you'd like to include in our podcast, like things that parents might be able to do to help their child through something like this? I think another thing, and I have said this probably a million times before on here, um, but having a safe person, whether it's a coach, whether it's an aunt, whether, you know, whoever it might be to have a safe, supportive adult or, you know, just a mentor. Um, I think that that just helps so much because sometimes it's easier to talk to um, a coach or someone else that's a little bit more a teacher that's on the outside about what's going on. And so if you're that person to be able to listen, and if there's something that sounds off, even though it can be really scary and it might even feel like I'm getting in someone's business, but if something doesn't feel right, report it because you're not, you don't want to be the one to investigate it. Um, because that can create maybe some more problems. But by getting the people in who are trained to investigate, who are trained to, to keep help keep children safe, um, it's another way that we can prevent child abuse and neglect. And it's really easy. It's an easy thing. I just doesn't sit right with me. I think there's something going on. I might not be the person to investigate, but here, 
here's another, if I report this, then maybe somebody else can. And it's just part of helping children stay safe. So, you know, I will always be a proponent of, you know, big brothers, big sisters. They're always looking for volunteers, um, you know, teachers, friends, uh, coaches, mentors, um, to be that safe, supportive adult is, is really what kids need. So how would you go about reporting something? I mean, I guess I might think, what would you call the police? Would you, I mean, how does a, just a neighbor who's concerned go about something like that? So there is a hotline that you can call. It's open 24 seven. Usually if you just look it up, I know in Michigan, um, there are some for different counties, but they are always open um, to taking calls and you report it through there, or you can also do it online. So if you're in Michigan, that's at MyBridges. Um, but just going onto the website or giving a call, giving as much information as you do have um, and advocating for that child. And I think making sure to like, sometimes it can be a deterrent to not call if you don't have all the details, like a specific address or stuff like that. But just remembering that whatever you do have is important and just making sure that you're kind of like fulfilling your duty of keeping our kids safe and making that phone call. I can give out the 800 number too. Um, so if you're in Michigan, um, you can make a report by calling 855-444-3911. And that would be the Michigan Not number. Based on neglect, and it's 24-7. Great. Um, then also, what are some things that as... Um, maybe even in schools. I mean, do you get the chance to go, not this year, of course, but into schools and talk with groups of kids as to, you know, things that they should be able to do to protect themselves? Or I don't even know how to, how to phrase that, but do you get a chance to get into the schools where our kids are and give them some tools to help them with these situations? Yeah, we do. Um, unfortunately, with COVID, it's been a little weird this year. Uh, year, but we go in and we can educate children on what healthy relationships are and really teaching them what those red flags are in relationships. Um, and it's especially important for those who kind of might have a dysfunctional household because, you know, if your parents don't have an unhealthy relationship, you don't really have a guide for that. Um, so something you might think is normal, it really is a big red flag and showing mm -hmm. the beginning steps of abusive um, relationships. So that is something we can do. That's great. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. We really appreciate this. And as we move on into April and um, Child Abuse Prevention and Child Abuse Awareness Month, we do hope that um, adults, caring adults who are in a position where they can help children and help prevent child abuse will continue to do that. And we know you are all going to continue doing the work that you do, which is so helpful and supportive. Um, if you uh, would like to get on our website at dasismi.org, um, you can find out even lots more information than what we were able to discuss today. But thank you so much. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023.
we are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.